so there I was, 20 feet up in a tree, lying prone along a limb, reaching way out with a saw and hanging on for dear life because I was above a fast-flowing river rushing over a dam about 25 yards away. My mother-in-law had asked me to trim some of their backyard trees at the edge of the river to give her a better view. So there I was, hacking away. I mean, it's funny how water can look like a raging torrent when you're hanging out over it. And, you know, when when you've got two kids and a, a beautiful wife who you know would not be very pleased to have to call the Adirondack Water Rescue Squad. Yeah, well, my husband, he just went over the dam and is probably going to be needing some help. <laughs> I mean, bottom line, I was scared. Generally speaking, I loved my mother-in-law, but not so much at that particular moment. <laughs> so what happened? <clears throat> well, I didn't die, of course, nor did I fall in, thank you, Lord. But when I got down, I saw something that taught me one of the most important lessons anyone can learn about handling pain. And I'm going to share that with you in this second episode of my podcast mini-series, Handling Pain in a bubble wrap culture. Hi, I'm Doug Newton, pastor for 45 years and a national award-winning magazine editor, author of 24 books, and this is At the Intersection with Doug Newton, where scripture, culture, and character meet. And I'm here to help you pursue the kind of character needed to align with scripture faithfully and to engage culture graciously. Now, each week I make one observation about our culture, I give one insight from the Bible that speaks to that issue, and I suggest one way to strengthen the character that you and I need to relate to our mixed-up world with exemplary grace and fresh impact. Now, this is a no-gripe zone. Our question is not, what's wrong with our culture? <laughs> it's about what's the right way to respond. So, you ready? Here we go. Now, if you didn't catch uh, last week's podcast, the first in this mini-series on handling pain, I made the point that our culture treats pain like public enemy number one and will do almost anything to make sure we don't ever have to experience it. Now, while I would never recommend that we counter our cultural obsession with comfort, by you know, going in the opposite direction and becoming masochists that beat ourselves, I did make the case that we should not treat pain as an enemy to be defeated at all costs. You know, kill pain, eradicate pain. Instead, we need to make peace with pain. You see, good often comes with pain. Perseverance and courage become stronger. Empathy becomes more tender. Compassion acts quicker. And the sense of God's presence can often seem closer. And these are good things, very good things. So let's not be so quick to hate pain and discomfort and, and fall prey to the unrealistic hope and desire of living a pain-free life. But today we need to move on. Why? Well, just because you've made peace with pain and, and its potential value and benefit doesn't mean that you're going to endure it any more easily. See, handling pain takes some practice precisely because we live in a bubble wrap culture, and we consequently have had far fewer occasions to face pain than the majority of our human family that live in much harsher conditions around the world. So, 
What am I recommending? Well, I, I recommending I recommend that we take a lesson from our culture. Wait a minute, Doug. <laughs> I thought you said our culture has the wrong attitude toward pain. So why should we take a lesson on pain from our culture? Well, not a bad question, but remember I said that the culture has a wrong attitude. It has a warfare attitude against pain. I didn't say people don't have something to say about it or something we can learn from them about facing it. In fact, here's what we can learn. <laughs> we can learn the use of distraction. Our culture is very skilled in the use of distraction when it comes to pain. The problem is the culture employs distraction in the attempt to avoid pain rather than to handle it. I mean, people use drugs to avoid any sensation of pain. And even if we are not drug addicts or reckless enough to use drugs recreationally, we still employ various forms of amusement or entertainment as a sedative to just soothe us a little bit. It's amazing how many people make themselves feel better by buying some new clothes or buying some new toy or new equipment or going to a new restaurant. You, say, you, know, you name it, something new, something special, something to look forward to. As long as we've got a weekend of fun to look forward to or, or something new to research or to bring home and unbox and intrigue us for a while, we can feel pleasure rather than pain. Sadly, that new thing is far too often a new intimate partner to provide the intrigue and stimulation to kill the pain of boredom and routine in our lives. You know, recent research in uh, that's reported in The Signal, it's an online culture watcher newsletter, asserts that as many as 40% of all divorces occur due to infidelity of some sort, such as sexual or emotional affairs, internet, internet relationships, uh, pornographic habits. But even more sobering, nearly 80% of all divorces, divorces, <laughs> people who divorce, acknowledge that they had been unfaithful to their spouse. New and shiny things distract us for a while. But then they become familiar and the fascination fades and they lose their luster and then we need something new again. But don't, don't get me wrong, despite these observations, I don't want us to conclude that this distraction impulse is always bad. It isn't. It's just misdirected toward avoiding pain rather than handling pain. We should learn a lesson from Ben Gay. You know, that's one of those topical creams that you spread on a painful muscle or area of your body. Uh, those kind of creams and applications do not actually remove the pain. Um, you know, most people misunderstand. It's not actually pain relief as in removing the pain, but it's simply, they simply produce a distracting sense, uh, uh, intense sensation. You know, the icy cold or the radiant heat along with the strong fragrances just flood your brain with nerve signals that compete with and temporarily overwhelm the pain signals coming from that injury and makes that pain less noticeable. 
here, try this experiment. Get a pot from the kitchen, fill it with water and ice. Let the water stand for a couple minutes so that the water gets ice cold. Then scratch the back of your hand with your fingernails just hard enough to make it hurt a little bit. Feel what it feels like. Plunge your hand in the water quickly into that and, and, and you'll find that you won't actually feel the scratches on the back of your hand. As long as it's in the water, that icy water a sensation overwhelms the your nerve centers in your brain and you don't even notice the scratches on the back of your hand. Your brain, the way it works, is going to pay attention to the most powerful sensation coming in. That's what Ben Gay does. And believe it or not, that's what you can do when it comes to handling pain. You can use distraction to force your mind to focus on something stronger than the immediate pain that you're feeling or the prospect of feeling that pain. That's why weekends work. They can take a person's mind off the pain of the boring job they hate or the gnawing sense of unfulfillment they may feel just temporarily. The weekend, the weekend. So think about employing that process when it comes to facing the pain that you're afraid to face. You know, if you're, if you want to choose to do something that might take some courage or perseverance. After all, what is it that keeps you from doing the very things that might make your life more meaningful or more impactful or more faithful or more healthy or more sacrificial? It's the fear of how hard it might be how hard it already is, and you don't want to have to keep going in that direction, or or what you might have to give up, et cetera, et cetera. You see, distraction can work to help you handle that pain so that it won't feel as bad as you think it will feel, or maybe you won't actually feel the pain at all. That's exactly what I experienced when I was hanging out over the river on that tree limb. You see, I didn't even notice until I got down and saw my legs and felt the pain because I was wearing shorts. They were all cut up and bleeding. The bark of the tree was so rough and apparently the branches had some kind of little thorns. I didn't even notice that my bare skin, my arms, the inside of my arms and my legs from gripping the tree, they were cut up as I was hanging on so tightly. I mean, they were bleeding and hurt, but I didn't even notice. Why not? Because my mind was entirely overwhelmed with one thing. I don't want to fall into the river. (laughs) Hang on. Careful how you reach out. Keep your balance. Don't slip off, Doug. It's a long ways down. Don't let go. Don't fall. And I learned a lesson that day that has stayed with me all my life. A person can do a lot of things that are hard and even threatening if we keep in mind that something worse can happen if we don't. <laughs> Doug, you you really want you're really telling me to think about something worse? That doesn't sound fun. Wouldn't it be better if we thought about something good happening if we go through the pain rather than something bad? Well, it may seem like that, but the question is, what has the most distraction value? You know, a psychologist going back to Sigmund Freud acknowledged that at the most fundamental level of human action is this pain, pleasure, principle, or motivation. They also acknowledge 
that the prospect of experiencing immediate pain always wins out over the prospect of immediate pleasure when it comes to human behavior. And that also means that the anticipation of future pain still has the upper hand over the anticipation of future pleasure. Though the odds are not as great as in the case of immediate pain and pleasure. I mean, sometimes the prospect of future good, future pleasure can win the day. And and we'll talk about that next week. But this week, I just want to stick with learning to handle pain by envisioning a greater problem if you don't press through the pain. Just like when I pressed through and accomplished my mother-in-law's request despite the scary circumstances that I faced. Now, as much as we may not like to think it, the Bible makes clear that our all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful God is willing to motivate people with the prospect of possible problems and not just the promises of potential pleasures. And if that doesn't sound very loving, just remember, this is actually an important motivational tool of good parenting. You see, because we know it won't be good for Johnny if he doesn't do his homework. But sometimes the only way Johnny will respond is if we tell him he won't be able to play video games for the rest of the week if he doesn't get his homework done tonight. And so the prospect of not having screen time is far worse in Johnny's mind than the disagreeable prospect of spending 15 minutes working on his spelling words. But now also bear in mind that the Bible issues warnings that are much stronger than just you know, losing some screen time. In fact, the book of Proverbs is full of those kind of something worse will happen warnings on everything from greed to anger to lust to foolishness to pride to laziness. In fact, here's laziness. This is Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, oh sluggard, (laughs) slackard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? (laughs) When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And then it goes on to say, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He he points with his finger. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him. Suddenly, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. And if that isn't strong enough, bear in mind, though it may not be culturally palatable. God uses the warning of death or the loss of his blessing as the most frequent something worse as he relates to his people. That's why the Proverbs also includes this famous verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, there's a principle here for handling pain. 
Distract yourself from the pain of doing things that are good and right and important, and keep pressing on by identifying the greater problem or the something worse that might happen if you don't endure the pain of the better choice. This is not only effective when it comes to making good moral choices, but also in developing good character. (laughs) I'm 70 years old right now on this video. My body is stiffening up. I'm not nearly as flexible as I was back when I was playing soccer at years, uh, 20 years of age, and then when I was 30, and then when I was on to being 40 and 50 and 60. I mean, I hate stretching exercises. They are boring. They are painful. But if I keep a picture in my mind of being 80 years old, and being hunched over and tightened up and barely limber enough to go up and down stairs, I find it much easier to press on through the discomfort of holding a toe touch for a 10 count. (laughs) I mean, it's helpful to create clear images of what might happen if you don't press through the pain. Ben Gay helps us handle pain by distracting us. You can learn to use distraction too. In this case, using the distraction of the something worse. That can flood your mind in a way that will help you with the pain of doing what's right and good. You can bend gay your brain. Well, like I said, next week I'm going to give you another more pleasant way to use distraction. But for today, this is a good place to stop. And I've written another crosswalk for you this week. Uh, I want to give you some time to reflect on your own reaction to some pain or prospect of pain that you're facing right now that might be tempting you to back away from something important, something right, something good that you need to do or a promise that you need to keep. I'm going to take you through a, a mental exercise to process this something worse technique that I've described today. I guarantee it will be good for you. Well, that's it for this week. I'm uh, I'm glad that you're here or maybe catching it in, in the, the rerun sometime later. I hope you'll agree that this is important stuff. And if you appreciate what I'm trying to do in this podcast, would you share it with uh, your friends and, and subscribe to uh, the Fresh Impact YouTube channel. 24 hours from now, I'm going to have a permanent version on YouTube and an audio-only version for those who want to go listen on the go. All that information about the podcast, past and f- future, can be found on our website, and the links can be found for the crosswalk and other information about the podcast at the end of this video. But thanks again so much for tuning in. You know, if you think this podcast is a valuable resource and hope that it's going to continue with you, also leave me a comment or send me an email. Well, I hope you'll you'll join me again next week at the intersection with Doug Newton. I'm already looking forward to showing you another way to handle pain in this bubble wrap culture. In the meantime, remember... When it comes to handling pain, it doesn't hurt to imagine something worse. See you next week.